Hello and welcome to Detroit from Across the Pond with Andrew Lewis-Smith. This is a podcast which looks at Detroit, its people and initiatives and projects which are making a difference to the city and its communities. Every week I'll be asking a new interviewee about Detroit, projects that they are involved in and what it is that they love about Detroit and the people who live there. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis-Smith. Hello and welcome to Detroit from Across the Pond with me, your host, Andrew Lewis-Smith. I'm sat here with my customary mug of Earl Grey tea, and I'm very, very pleased to be graced in the presence of Satori Shikor, who we'll find out more about in a little while. I want to be a bit self-indulgent now and just say hello to the people from Yoga with Adrian community, who I think I've been very privileged to get lots of support in the build-up to developing this podcast, and you know who you are, guys, so thank you very much. So, Satori Shikor, without further ado. So, Satori has a very comprehensive and long CV, an actress, an author, playwright. She's made many radio and TV appearances. She regularly appears on WDET. She um, is also a compare, a comedian, and a storyteller as well. And I guess that's probably what weaves right through. She's also, I'd also say she's a leader and an inspirer as well. I think that in terms of what she does in the organization that she's got running, but probably for people and community and individuals, I suspect that's a really big thing for her. So welcome, Satori. Thank you. Thank you. So I should say, really, the reason why I came across Satori for this podcast, and I thought she'd be great to interview, was when I was researching for this podcast, I looked on WDET, which is the local Detroit radio station. And one of the things that... um, NPR. It's an NPR. Oh, it's NPR. Yeah, NPR station. So one of the things that, um, as I scrolled through, I came across this really interesting show called The Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers, hosted by Satori Shigar. So for a start, it's the weirdest name of a show I've heard in a long time. So I obviously had to go and look at that. And it was a storytelling show as well. So I came. that's how I came across Satori. So could you tell us about that society, Satori, and what it is and how it developed? Well, The Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers is a, a live storytelling event that we produce 10 months out of the year at the Charles Wright Museum of African-American History in Detroit. We curate uh, four storytellers that will tell stories anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes that are true and personal stories on a pre-selected curatorial theme. So, for example, Friday, our show, uh, February 14th, is called The Dating Game. And uh, so the four storytellers will tell stories that are related to that theme. And uh, we have a musical performance and a dance performance. We have a big rotunda full of vendors, entrepreneurs who bring their wares and their products to bear to the audience, uh, which is very diverse, that comes to our show. Uh, it uh, began as a, an inspiration to me as I as uh, in 2012. Um, I was unemployed, living in someone's basement. I had been touring the country as a moth storyteller and uh, main stage storyteller and host, and uh, and I noticed that the third time that I told my story of um, oh, you know, just coming back from the hell of a a devastating grief and loss over my mother and son, I noticed that I felt lighter after having told my story to the audience and having them listen so profoundly to the journey uh, of my struggle and overcoming. And I was, it seemed that that was a moment that sort of had a 
bold headline. This is your calling. It's your purpose. It's what you're, what you're supposed to do. So I didn't really know what it was that I was mm-hmm. going to do, but I did know that I wanted everyone in the world to be listened to as profoundly as I did. And maybe it could start to make an impact, a difference, a healing on their lives. So um, as I was sitting the next year, that 2012, when I got that message, I'm sitting in my girlfriend's garden in Ferndale. I'm living in her basement at the time, as I mentioned. And I began to reflect on the city of Detroit, the city of Detroit, and uh, was a macrocosm of my life, which was, it was just beginning to come back from all of the losses and the hits it had taken because there a lot of the population of Detroit had moved to other places in the world in to the suburbs because homes were underwater um, water shutoffs it was just the, the the impact of the crash of Wall Street and the banks had, had just ripped Everyone, I guess everyone in the nation, but it was Detroit was a very hard hit city. I went under emergency financial management. So that meant a loss of democracy. Our city council was impotent, really. Uh, There were water shutoffs, Flint water uh, poisoning, um, just the loss of the tax base uh, in Detroit. Uh, it, it was, it, you know, there was a lot that people were losing their mm. homes. And um, I was coming back and Detroit seemed to just be coming back. And I thought, well, if storytelling had begun, had started me on the path of healing, could it do the same for the city of Detroit? And that's when the idea for the Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers came to me. And, um, and I would use storytelling in the service of connecting the city, healing and uplifting the spirits of the people who lived here. And um, the vision was that once they began to heal, that they would um, transform. And, may, and and perhaps that transformation would lead to their leadership. And then they could implement and exercise that leadership in their communities and make a difference and be of service. And that we wouldn't hear reports that only 17% of Detroiters got out to vote because when you're right. grieving, when you are um, uh, preoccupied with the struggle of to survival, um, voting is almost a luxury. You know, if your water mm. shut off, your kid is, you know, home from school because they're having issues with being lead poisoned, uh, chance, and, and you have a, a, an intense work schedule, working two or three jobs and can't get off to vote on that Tuesday <laughs> in the middle of the week, you know, uh, perhaps you might not make it to the mm. polls. And I thought, did I vote the year my mother and son passed? I don't even remember. I It was just it was all my energy was used to get out of bed. Okay. Yeah, sure. You, so, were just, you were just surviving. I was just surviving, yeah, trying to, trying to, I would wake up in the morning and for a split second, it was just, and then it would come to me, my mother and my son are gone. <laughs> and, and then phew, the day. So it took six years to crawl, to just come back from that. And then, mm-hmm. um, so that was the, that was the idea for the secret society to the storytellers, but I didn't have any money. I didn't have, well, what am I talking about? But I was so, I mean, in love with the idea of this possibility that I sold tickets in advance. I rented a 
a little funky theater that had 45 seats. We sold it out. And the four storytellers that night got a standing ovation. And that was enough for me to wonder, could this social experiment work? And um, so that gave me enough motivation and inspiration to the next month do it again. So I did it. We popped up every month for eight months until we found the home at the Charles Wright Museum of African-American History. But it was really hard because every month we would get more and more people. So we would outgrow the 45 um, seat space. And then it turned into 70 and 100. They knocked out a wall at a venue we rented <laughs> to accommodate 200. Then we went to um, a ballroom at the Northwest Activity Center and that someone donated the rental for. And then we went to the Charles Wright, you know, so we would rent chairs and set them up. And then the next day, the rental people come take the chairs back. I was exhausted. And, mm-hmm. uh, and in 2014, I was diagnosed with stage zero non-invasive breast cancer. But while I was on the table getting the um, stereostatic biopsy, I, I kept thinking, you know, what if you die? What if you're diagnosed with breast cancer? What if you need to get a mastectomy? You need to find somebody that's going to continue the secret society of twisted storytellers. And that's when I knew I had lost my mind, that I had completely (laughs) went to another place where, you know, if I die, this still has to go on, you know. And so I really, uh, I went through that journey of breast cancer with diagnoses of lumpectomy, drug it's radiation, a drug called tamoxifen for five years. I got a second opinion, get a mastectomy, and then you won't have to do all those other things. You just get reconstructive surgery. Mm-hmm. Found out that um, that wasn't as simple as it sounded because one surgery would be would turn into three or four surgeries. And right. so I just decided and and to reject those remedies. And I, because I took the chance to doc, the surgeon said 50, 50. So I'm a glass half full girl. So I went for the 50 and I just, yeah. I, um, food became my medicine. The gym became my friend and running every day, uh, and working out in the gym. And then three years later, um, there was no, I, there was no sign of any risk of breast cancer. And then last year it occurred to me, it had been five years, which is Western medicine standard for mm-hmm. cancer free. So, um, here I am, you know, both of my breasts, <laughs> um, <laughs> healthy, okay. healthy and, um, and running and, you know, eating better and, uh, being very grateful every day that, um, you know, I have continued with the secret society twist of storytellers without having. So, but the psychological toll of waking up every morning, it's a spreading, you know, so after five years, I feel free of waking up every morning, wondering is every little ache and pain and what is that? And so I'm full speed ahead. Now we're eight years um, into the Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers. Uh, we've become a nonprofit 501c3 since that time. We're now um, getting grants from um, the state of Michigan 
for operational grants. We are uh, getting requests to produce our show in the city of Southfield and colleges. We're providing, designing and facilitating storytelling workshops from everywhere from the Detroit Zoological Society to uh, kids in school or the small nonprofit businesses, every, you know, wherever uh, there are human beings, we'll come in and provide workshops <laughs> or storytelling events. Yeah. So people can share their journeys, their stories, and uh, start them on the path of um, of connection and healing, uplifting, thought-provoking, soul-cleansing opportunities, because we believe that storytelling is organic therapy, that it's there to provide people with an outlet so that they're not backed up with their pain, with their questions, with their insecurities, with their concerns, that there is someone somewhere listening that actually gets what they're saying and and they're heard because sometimes people just need to be heard. They just need to know that everything that they have said has been captured by a listener, like a Xerox copy and that they're gotten. And once they're, they're gotten, they're validated. They exist and their concerns and what they've been thinking isn't crazy that it is, Mm. uh, shared by another person. So we use storytelling to connect, heal, and transform, but we create it to develop listeners because we believe that the soul made of the storyteller is the story listener. And I've discovered that listening is a revolutionary act. So when our audiences come, we set the tone to let them know that they are here not only to be um, impacted and to be to be entertained, uh, to, to but they're not just sitting in the, their seats. They're an active participant in the experience of the story being told. That they're listening in it in and of itself gives it provides, and so they are revolutionaries by listening because listening really is not just having sound penetrate your ears and mm. you you get a little bit of some you you hear something it is actually a service in which you give up something to actually accept what the other person is saying to be in the presence of it because mostly we listen on, you know, listening happens on many levels. And so um, most of the time we listen and all the time we're calculating, do I, I agree with that? No, I don't agree with that. Oh, judging, assessing, measuring what the other person is saying, already creating your response to what they're saying before they're finished saying it, reacting to it, and and rather than just being in the presence of another's experience without you having to do anything about it, uh, defend yourself from it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that takes a lot, um, but that's what we want to create. So well, I work with the storytellers because storytelling is a craft. And at the highest levels, it's an art form. It's not going on stage and talking and rambling. It really is a journey that you take the people on so that you can arrive at your wisdom, which is your message. I went through all of this and this is what I learned. And along the way, the people are in the passenger seat going on the journey with you, seeing, feeling, experience what you experience. And then they are expanded because now they have your experience at their disposal to share with other people or there's information in the store. Maybe people are going, you know, having health challenges or 
there's things that are going on with their kids or they are adopting and somebody's talking about their story of adoption and they have access to that storyteller after the show, they can run down and mm-hmm. embrace the storyteller. That happened to me. And so a storyteller in the service of telling their story instantly creates a community just out of telling their story. Yeah. So, so Tori, you t- I mean, it's interesting because you talked about movingly about the loss of your, your mother and your son within a relatively short space of time. Nine months. And a, Nine months, which is an incredibly short space of time. And you then um, had this almost cathartic, I don't know if it was a spiritual experience, where telling your story on yeah. the moth yeah. to, to people. But it, for lots of people, it wouldn't have been a, a natural extension from your experience to them thinking, oh, I could he- help heal the city of Detroit. That seems to me like a, a wonderful leap, actually. It, it, it was a, a surprising leap. Because when you, you you lose your your mom, you lose your son, it's kind of like bookends. You, you're loved in condi- unconditionally and you're loving unconditionally. Mm. And those bookends disappear yeah. and suddenly you're not a, the daughter. You're not the little girl daughter. You are actually now a matriarch. And, and so your granddaughter and her siblings become very important to you. Yeah. And... Um, and so it was a leap because you, it, it wasn't, it was completely unexpected. It, I'm an artist. And so I always get ideas, but this it was like, really, really? You think you can, uh, it was, I had no money. I'm trying to, you know, just get by on day to day. I wasn't even thinking of this as anything to make money because obviously it has still, you know, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't really make money, yeah. but we, um, we are nonprofit. And so that nonprofit helps to offset the cost of the live production. Uh, but we're, we're, we're getting, we're doing, we are doing the services. Uh, hmm. We are providing that and people have, it has captured the imagination and people are now reaching. I want to tell my story. Can I tell my story? So we, and people are coming to listen and, Families are coming to listen to their family members or friends tell the story. So the idea is working. We are we're proving, fantastic, proving our, ourselves. Yeah. So it was a leap, but you 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 wonder. You, you know, it's it's shocking because you think, okay, you lose your, you lose so much, even your home, your income, all of this to mm. things you can't control. You can't control life in the way it's going to twist and turn, but you can stand in the face of it and uh, do do and be of service. And I find that being of service is so unexpectedly rich. I mean, it, it's it's not it's it, it's you know the 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 acknowledgement, the awards, the 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 energy, all of that is that comes, and that's very important. But what? lifts me up and makes me smile and is that is that what it's doing for other people when they call and say this was this what happened I'm a talk and you know I'm a marine now and I was afraid to tell my story now I'm a spokesperson for PTSD or women, or I get calls you know the lady that told the story about her breast cancer journey do you think uh she would talk to me and then I call her oh yes I'd be happy to because she told me I want to tell my story I want to become a public speaker I want to use my journey of uh, breast cancer to help other people so now I can direct these people to her 
Um, and so people see themselves on stage. You know, they, you know, everybody's the same height, the state senators, the representatives, they come and tell their personal stories. I said, this is not a campaign speech. Rabbis <laughs> and ministers and pastors come and tell their personal stories, which, you know, it's like, this isn't, you know, you get the chance to tell your story pastor, some, so, so-and-so minister, so-and-so who overcame alcohol because they're tasked with having to be leaders in the church. So they have to be chaste and clean and can't have ever made a mistake. So I'm like, no, this isn't about, and you take the cadence out of your voice. What do you mean that? What do you mean the cadence? I'm talking about, you're just talking to people in a natural voice. This isn't like, no, this isn't. You know, it's not a performance. It's you just being your authentic self, taking us on a journey that is that was important. It made a difference in your life, and and we're and we're banking on that it'll make a difference in someone else's life. Yeah. So I'm enriched by really working with the storytellers is the is the best part of the whole thing because every month I get to know four people and meet four people and get to poke around in their personal lives and work with them and forgive them when they need forgiveness, um, shake them up when they need to know that mm. this isn't a game, this, you know, different things. So it's an organic thing. I don't know how, what questions I'm going to ask the storyteller. It comes out of their story, comes out of mm. being interested in them and their story. I don't know how I'm going to, some storytellers, I hate you, you know, thank you. Um, next week, <laughs> I hate you fine. Then they get on the stage and after they come off, they're like, I love you. Dude, I love you. This is the best experience I've ever had. But they they don't want to tell some things. And I'm like, well, what else are you going to tell? What other story are you going to tell? No other story. This is what I tell. You know, so just like people don't want to come out about being raped or whatever thing, mm-hmm. internalized shame they have, which means that they're lips sitting on things that are are unhealthy emotionally, unhealthy mentally, unhealthy psychologically, spiritually. But to be able to release that uh, in a crafted story where they're not just ranting or victiming out, um, mm. they, they 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 have to craft their story over a period of four weeks. So memories come up. I buried that. And then they become invested in. And I encourage everybody and speaking to the everyone who will hear this podcast. I am saying that stories are fluid. That you that the facts don't change, but we change our relationship to life changes. We grow. And so whatever story we were telling about what happened to us at 12, now we're the age of where we could be a mother to the 12 year old, a father to the 12 year old that we're talking about. Uh, you know, that we were then. Mm. So if we were that 12 year old's mother, what would we say? Do do we still have the same relationship to that uncle who was mean? I had an uncle, he he was uh, born in 1902 in Holly Bluff, Mississippi. He was a filmmaker. He was brilliant. He was a minister. He was a a great leader and orator. He had, you know, over a thousand people in, in his church, but he was oppressed 
oppressed black man. He he went to work, was called boy, come home, and he that's where he would, you know, find an outlet for his frustrations or praise for his brilliance. Um, and I didn't like him. He was mean to me. Spare the rod, spoil the child was his right. philosophy. And so um, I didn't really get my uncle until I saw Fences. Um, it's, a, uh, it's an August Wilson play. It's an okay. August Wilson play. And the main character, I mean, you can, you you can, in the absence of seeing it on the stage, you can uh, Google it and see it. Denzel Washington and Viola oh, Davis okay. are the yeah. um, are the main characters. But when I saw um, the play and I saw revisited the film and I saw that Denzel Washington was an oppressed garbage man. He wasn't. He had to do the the worst of the jobs. He was getting least of the pay. So when he came home, there was this anger. Where does it go? It can't go to the white man. You can't go to your employer. You, you there's a very limited place in which you can unleash the, your frustrations, and usually it's in the home environment. Yeah. Um, if you don't have some other creative space to 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 be, and so I understood my uncle as an oppressed African American man who was probably a genius, made films, orator, was, had a thirst for learning and no outlet for his expression. Mm -hmm. I began to understand how that would be, you know? And so therefore I began to forgive my uncle for what I could, he was mean. I wasn't the little girl anymore. My uncle is mean. I was a mature woman who understood racism, oppression, systemic structural uh, racism that no matter where you go, you're going to be faced with mm. microaggressions, macroaggressions, injustices and everything else. So how do you navigate that? So for him to be able to do whatever it was that he did do uh, in that limited world, um, I now celebrate my uncle. I admire him and um, forgive him as a disciplinarian. Mm. And I think that, Sorry, Satori, I was going to say, I think that one of the amazing things about the power of stories is that uh, if I think, so you talked about that, you know, your different relationship to how you view your uncle mm -hmm. and also now how you view, I guess, your experiences um, in terms of creating the society of twisted storytellers. And um, I think about my experience. So five years ago, I was a clinician in our NHS, children, specialist in children's and adolescent mental health. The stress was phenomenal. The job had changed. I took a year off with depression and anxiety. Thought my life was over. Complete disaster. That's all I'd known. That's what I loved. And yet here I am, four or five years on. And if I had, that hadn't have happened, I would never have thought of doing a podcast. Never have thought about doing this. And here I am, four or five years on, excitedly talking to you and other people in Detroit and lots of other ideas in my head. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, because we live in a society, don't we, or both, both of us live in societies where happiness is curated, lives are curated. And you know what? Stuff happens. Rubbish yes. happens. Yes. And what I love about what you do is that you are giving a voice to people. And having heard quite a few of the stories, horrendous things they've been through. And, and they, are, they are movingly listened to but his big audiences, and it must be incredibly profound. And I well understand why they come off the stage and say, Satori, I love you. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Yes, yes. Well, I, 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 um, I, let, I allow them to hate me through the process if they want to, as long as they don't give up. 
Yeah. You know, because I, I know what's, how it's going to be on the other side. And because I know how it's going to be on the other side, how they are, how they are in the, throughout the process, I give them that space because they're working with pain. They're working with Mm -hmm. traumas. They're working with fears of being judged. And so I understand that, you know, and, uh, and, um, and I give that I give space to that because I can promise them on the other side, it, it's it, the grass is greener. And one of the things that you've also shown in so far are flashes of the other thing that I suppose I didn't mention too much uh, in the intro was that uh, having heard your moth stories, one of them I heard as well. I have to say I blushed when <laughs> when you were telling the story about uh, you know wanting to find a relationship and things like that. And I have to say it was very funny. <laughs> I think it was from about nineteen twelve, but I did blush. And you also made me laugh, which is because sometimes in really tough things sometimes finding humor which is hard to manufacture but the way so i never thought i'd hear or be hear myself saying this you know that i'm so pleased that you and your two breasts are on the podcast yes. because that's what you said it's yes. like yeah really? yeah so uh, i hope apple doesn't censor that so uh, well, they shouldn't they, do well when um i was going to when i was going to get the the lumpectomy and the mastectomy i i i took a picture of the breast and i put it on facebook Wow. And it was up about really? three, it was up about three hours before the Facebook police took it down. Oh, did they but really? The comments were hysterical, <laughs> and uh, and I did a podcast called "The Beginning of the Beginning of the End" podcast. It's mm. on WDET two, and it's yeah. episode eight, "End of Pride," and that's the story of my breast cancer journey up until oh, 20, okay. 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And so that it stops there 2015. But it, it you you will blush on that one, too. But hopefully right, okay. inspired <laughs> as well. But yeah. But um, yeah, I'm glad I you know, that's what storytelling. That's the art of it. That yeah. that that uh, words, just words and uh, the truth of those of the storyteller can have you sit in your seat a thousand million miles away and blush and laugh and cry and scream. So it it means that there's a connection, a human connection that's happening. So if, yeah. if, if, if words and just your story can cause another person to involuntarily have a, a response to blush to whatever it is, it, it gives that listener access to who they are you know why you know what makes me blush what why did i blush and 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 it gives it gives you some insight into your into your own self you know because every everybody doesn't blush you know some people have different reactions to the same thing so it's unique form of expression i mean you talked about that you know the that experience of telling story on the moth but do you think you've always been a storyteller yes always even from a little girl, Every, even from a little girl, because everybody around me were storytellers. That's, okay, how, that's yeah. how they communicated. You know, so yeah. if you grow up as you did in Britain, you have what we call a British accent to you. You don't yeah. have an accent. You you speak and that's what you yeah. do. But it, but or, or if you grow up and you are learning German, if, if you grow up in a German household, you speak German. I grew up in a household of storytelling. So I speak storytelling. So you notice that in every time you ask me a question, I tell you a story. So storytelling yeah. is a 
form of communication, it is the most effective delivery system of information and ideas um, because it's an engagement. You know, the listener, the storyteller feeds the listener their experiences, images and dialogue. They create the other person that they're talking to. So it engages the other person's mind, which means they're 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 casting the story you're telling with their aunt. Yeah. If I say I'm in the car and I'm driving and all of a sudden the snow has my car spinning around, you're spinning around too. Yeah. It's just it's just what you're doing. So it's an it's an interactive engagement. So the craft of it is to allow is to tell the story in a way that you are engaging the listener with images. You're giving them different kind of interests. So if I'm talking to my mother, I, you know, my my mother says, Satori, you better not speak to me in that tone of voice. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, she didn't tell me that. So you can see my mother and me. And I can also tell you what my mother said. But which one is more interesting? The yeah. same information is being delivered like a PowerPoint, but which one entertains? Which one is the person making the movie themselves? You know, I am um, uh, unusually for my sort of work. I have a, an interest, um, especially interest in working with eating disorders, which is, is not that common. Hmm. And I remember talking to my Auntie Eileen. I come from an Irish family, so Eileen is one of my mum's uh, younger sisters. And I was chatting to her about it, and she made this really interesting observation, saying, well, your granddad, Patrick, so her mum, her dad, he was born 25 years after the Irish potato famine. You were brought up with this, and for her and the family, food is really important because people starved in their own tens of thousands. And so she was saying, maybe... Because I have never, I don't know anyone that's ever had an eating disorder. I haven't got one, no, in my family. Um, so why this interest? And she was just saying, maybe there is a, some latent story there that's been passed through the family. Um, and I know it can work the other way, like trauma that goes through families mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. or, or cultures. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that that power of story is, mm-hmm. is quite incredible. Uh, something I want to sort of get pin you down. And when so you come from this sort of almost immersed in this sea of stories and it's how people communicated. Was there a point when you were younger when you thought, do you know what? I'm actually pretty good at this as a child, you know, as but making people laugh and telling stories a little bit more than just sort of communicating. Well when I was a a little girl in elementary school, I just loved having fun. I loved laughter. And, yeah. and I like hearing it around me and it was always around me. I'd never, I didn't understand until I got to Los Angeles that I was funny. My, my, right, first, okay. ex, my first ex-husband said, you're funny. You should be a comedian. I never, <laughs> I, it was like that. I love comedy. I love watching, yeah. um, you know, all the stand-ups that, you know, the Harry, you know, all the stuff my mother would. And I love Carol Burnett and I love Lucille Ball and I just love laughing. Mm-hmm. And um, I love being around it. So I, it was when I got to Los Angeles, uh, I would go to a lot of 12 step groups because I was learning yeah. to be a comedian. But before I would go to the 12 step groups to introduce myself to the community, to talk, to tell my yeah. stories there. And I would get irritated when people laughed when I was telling my pain. They're laughing. And I'm like, I only have three minutes. These people are laughing. What the hell are they? And But then when I started doing stand up, and this is terrible, but comedians have no shame. We we, <laughs> we would go to on the 12, we call it the 12 step comedy circuit. And so we would go to all the different 12 step groups. We get three minutes 
of state. We call it stage time. And we have people that would listen to us do our, we do our bits, our comedy bits, and we'd find out whether they were funny or not at the 12. Oh, really? Okay, fantastic. Yeah, it was all kind of people at the 12-step groups. I mean, you could really network, you producers, directors, because especially at the AA meeting in Beverly Hills on Sunday afternoons, you know, you producers, <laughs> all anonymous, but you could you could network, you know what I mean? So um, I, I then, oh, I okay, so where, if I'm there, laughing is happening. Okay. So maybe I'm helping to cause this laughter. And then when I realize, oh, you can cause laughter by the things that you say, then it became sacred to me, you know, and I Mm. began to, uh, because I, my point of view, I see the humor in things and, um, and, and just coming from old, these old black ladies from the Jim Crow South, just the folk, they, you know, they were uneducated. My mother never made it past the sixth, uh, ninth grade because she had to pick cotton. Uh, and a lot, a lot of them were not very educated because they were denied the education, which sure. is yeah. kind of like today. <laughs> but storytelling, you don't have to be able to, you don't have to be literate, although they were literate. You don't have to be able to read and write. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to, You all you have to do is be able to know how to tell a story. So they taught very folksy and they talked so plain that it was funny the way they would see it. That looked like a grasshopper sucking on a banana. Did you see the way? <laughs> I mean, I mean the way they, they would image. Yeah. I mean, I'm just pulling that out of my hat, but the way they would talk would, would be, you know how little kids describe things. So like my son, we went to Disneyland, a Disneyland or Disney world, wherever the one in California is. And we were standing in a line, you know, lines are so long to, to get into a ride. To uh, So we were standing in line to get to get in the ride or go to a fun house. And there was a little boy in front of my son. And my son looked at him. He goes, you look like a chipmunk. You look like Alvin the chipmunk. And my mother was like, Noah, be quiet. Don't say that. And the little boy just looked, they were just looking at each other, wide-eyed and innocent. He was just describing to him how the little boy looked. I'm trying not to laugh because the little boy did look like a chipmunk. He had two really huge teeth. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, my son wasn't putting him down. Yeah, he was true. just describing what he, his world. I saw Alvin, yeah. and you look like Alvin. And, uh, and so we're shut down very early in life, yeah. you know, by saying what it is we see. Don't say she's fat. That's, and now uh, you got Lizzo going, say I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> I love every one of my curves. So it's uh, fluid, you know, what, yeah, yeah, what yeah. beauty is and isn't. And yeah. so. And, you, you t- and I think one of the things that I found deeply moving as well from many of the stories is, and it's interesting to see how you've helped people over four weeks, how they stand on stage for that length of time and, and tell this element after element after element, many of which are each in themselves incredibly traumatic or distressing. And, yeah, it must be so powerful to have that audience because it's a big audience, isn't it? Yeah. It's a beautiful venue. Have that audience just listen and absorb and appreciate. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think what, what you do is quite remarkable. And I, I love the... I love the idea about how it's spreading as well. You were saying, you know, the idea was Detroit and it started off very small, you know, in sort of a basement-y type thing. And now how it's spread out. And that's wonderful. Even but also to, I know even to Utrecht, the Netherlands, we did Yeah, I saw that. That's great. 
and what a lovely place. And also, the other thing is, I know that you've got a vision to expand it still further, and yes. which is quite wonderful as well. Can you yes. say something a little bit about yes. that? Yes, well, we're launching this year um, our, uh, on a global live streaming uh, network. Binge now, mm. uh, you won't ever see binge now. It's kind of like a, the net a Netflix, but it distributes okay, brands yeah. rather than products mm. like films. And so our storytelling show, um, our the see you can download our app and you can yeah. click on and you can see um, a new a new story every week and and other special shows. You know, we have a show with uh, George Clinton we've never aired. We have a show with uh, Dr. Faison we've never aired. We have our halftime show that we've never aired. So there's uh, a lot that we're going to be doing this year. So anyone with a digital device can download our app and see our stories, become a subscriber like Netflix, but it's very low. The cost will be very much lower. Than that. Is that going to just be available in the U.S.? No, globally. Anybody. Globally, okay. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Digital device anywhere in the world. Yeah, you okay. Can, over Amazon, Roku, any uh, live streaming, you can see it. Like like yeah, podcasts, yeah. yeah. So 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 one of the things as well that comes across, Satori, because you know, like many people, you've been through some very difficult things. So if you're thinking about some of the stories that um, shape who you are, to me, it sounds like resilience. Given the experience of African American people and, and continues, I appreciate in, in terms of racism, racism and discrimination. But re- resilience seems to be part of that. That's um, yes. to keep going in the face of yeah. almost impossible odds at times. Yes. I think that uh, resilience is the sole mate of hope. You know, yeah. you can hope, but then there's action in the service of you have to express that hope in the world of action. Uh, yeah. So resilience is an expression of that, which is to keep going. And if you're lucky, like I feel like I'm lucky, just as you're lucky, you found out of the trauma, the the chain, the, that transformation of your life that because when we, anytime we lose anything we grieve it even if it's a computer program or my my podcast broke down last week and I have to redo the so there's a loss of time there's a loss of something and we have to take the time to grieve it but when we have major devastating losses mm-hmm. like tsunamis and hurricanes and you know big things that altered the whole trajectory of our lives to be able, it's lucky to be able to find something that even in all of that devastation, there's a light. There's something, mm. possibility that you can look to that gives you another world to inhabit while you're in this one. That that vision, that future uh, gives you things to act on now because we don't act from our past. We act from our future. You mm-hmm. know, people go, Oh, I'm just, you know, acting from my past. No, the future calls us. If you want to be a doctor, everything you do in high school <laughs> is going to be from the future of being a doctor. If you want to be a musician, like the kids that I spoke to at the Sphinx connect everything that they're doing now, the fact that they were even there with their violins and their music and their instruments, the fact that they were even there is because their future to be a classical, a professional classical musician has them be there because this is mm-hmm. going to develop them. This is this opportunity you know, <laughs> to develop them. So the, the path 
it, it starts to become clear. You start to whack away the weeds and cease and you, it, everything you listen to, every opportunity that presents itself or what would not seem like a possibility or an opportunity shapes itself as a as a as an opportunity around where you're going. Oh, an opportunity. Every time I, I'm invited to speak to a place and to, to a group of people, to an audience, it becomes an opportunity, you know, to share what I'm up to so that they can participate in it, you know, to give them my story so that they can know that under, you know, the worst circumstances you can find a way. So I think we need that in the face of the way the world is now. You know, we mm. we're in the United States of America, the greatest country in the world. And we're supposed to be having the best economic boom of our time. Everything, Wall Street, Dow Jones, all of that is puck, puck, percolating. Yet feeling uh, mm. is dire. <laughs> There's a, a darkness over the land. There's there's not a sense of um, struggle and and uh, not you know bipartisan and uh, you know partisanship mm. and you know divisiveness and so it doesn't matter how the economy is perking along whether that's true or not what matters are the way people lives feel to them. Do I feel hope? Do I feel good? Do I feel secure? Do I feel happy? Or do I feel like I want to attack my neighbor? Do I feel when I wake mm. up in the morning, a sense of frustration or aggressiveness? Or do I feel like beeping my horn at that person in front of me? You know, it's like there's something there, peace, a feeling of well-being, a sense of, you know, security, even though, you know what I mean? Those are important. So how do how do we get there? We need people like yourself and other people that are distributing hope, you know, dis distributing possibility, distributing, you know, people who can talk to other people and say, I, I know how you feel. I know where you're coming from. I know because I'm, I'm there. I've been there. But this is what I did. It may not be what you did, but whatever it is that that I did is something you can do in your own unique way, which is to be resilient, which is to choose possibility in the face of no possibility, hope in the face of no hope. Uh, because if you stand there, it will become clear where the windows and the doors mm. and the opportunities and the, everything are. And you just, you walk through it, you meet the challenge of going through it. But grief is an important part of healing. If you, you can't skip over it. It, yeah. it, it takes you, it drills down in your soul into places you didn't, you know, when you lose, I mean, it drills down into your soul, pl a place you've never gone. How do you come back? Uh, so you forge this depth of your, into your humanity. And when you come back, you're bringing back wisdom. You're bringing back what you found there. And whatever it is that you found there, you survived it. You know, so it's important to allow yourself to grieve, to uh, cry, to, to be devastated, feel the feelings of it um, and to and to go with it, you know, uh, to, to, to book off a day if you need to. I'm not talking about wallowing. I'm talking about grief has something to offer. 
it is a path. And so it is uh, definitely the soulmate of your journey to, to becoming someone who is being productive and who it's it, it, what replaces the grief and the sadness and the, what replaces that is a joy. You know, it, uh, the memory of my mother, what I remember now are the funny stuff. What I remember now are those moments with my son that will never leave me. They're, they're, they're imbued in me. My son lives my mother lives, you know, within me as I, every time I speak about them, you know, sometimes people may feel, um, I don't experience people feeling uncomfortable now around me when they talk about their children. Oh, I'm sorry. No, talk about your children. Cause I'm going to talk about mine, <laughs> you know, because yeah. my son stopped living at 23 doesn't mean he stopped living. His physical presence is gone, but I can tell you that through my granddaughter, when my granddaughter is turning 18 next month, she's going into musical theater. Every time I go to see what her perform or every conversation I have or how tall she gets or how beautiful she is, my son is seeing that too through me. I'm, I'm not ever sitting in the audience watching my granddaughter perform by myself. My son is next to me. <laughs> my mother is next yeah. to me. And I'm, we're sharing it together through me. Yeah, there's a there's a wonderful um, there's a podcast uh, that's produced in the UK called How to Fail, um, and it looks at um, people who've got stories about things that happened and, and ostensibly uh, and, and re in reality there there were failures. And just you reminded me, telling me you know just talking movingly about your son was that um, there was a chap called Mo Godap, I think it's Godap, who was head of research for Google X, I think it was, you know, all the latest technologies, obviously a really bright guy. And his son was about 2021. I think he went into hospital for a routine um, appendix operation and something went wrong, drastically wrong. There may have been a mistake, I'm not sure, but his son died and he was plagued and haunted. If I'd have only taken him to another hospital, et cetera, et cetera, it was just a routine operation. But he talks very movingly on, on the episode that he's on about if it hadn't have been for that loss, he now, uh, he's written a book called Compute to be Happy. He almost went as a techie and did an algorithm about what it means to be happy. It's a wonderful podcast. I really wholeheartedly uh, mm -hmm. recommend it to listeners of this podcast. There was a storytelling show that toured around for a couple of years called Failure Lab. And, okay. I, and, I do, and I'd say all the time, and I do believe that failure is the platform to success. Yeah. You know, failure is a wonderful teacher. Uh, yeah. And it is it 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 taught it, it it also builds um it builds character. And then there are cultural losses. You know, we lost Kobe Bryant, his yeah. daughter, and all the people who were on that helicopter. And we're always losing like a Lucille Ball. And when we lose people like that, it does impact us globally. It yeah. impacts impacts us in our cities and our and and so then there's fallout. You know, people are grieving in different ways. And so there's not only just our own personal losses and things, there are cultural icons that 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 we lose or that something happens or, or some part of the, the state is devastated or the world has a tsunami. And then, you know, so it's not we're not in a little town anymore. We're we live in a global community. And well, so, well, look at what we're doing now on this yeah, podcast. I, ha I haven't even been to Detroit. Full disclosure, guys. <laughs> I haven't even been there. And well, we're doing this wonderful when podcast. When are you coming? 
Uh, I, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, there's a few things got to fall into place, but June or July, I think. Good, maybe. good. Hopefully you'll so, try get around coming to our show and we can introduce you. I would, well, oh my God. Um, that's really, <laughs> now I'm thinking, oh no. And then I can, uh, and then I can talk to Stephen Henderson, who does uh, Detroit Today. And ask, oh, he's good. I like his show. Yeah, Tell him I like his show. Maybe we can have Andrew Lewis Smith, who's doing stories from the UK, from Detroit, <laughs> on your show, so people can know about it. Yeah, he's he's good. I like his. Uh, I listen regularly to his show. Actually, he's got, I mean, a lot of the stuff I don't know about, but some of it is fantastic. And just the same issues here. You talked about, like, the, you know, ostensibly we've got this wonderful economy, but we're here. We our employment is at supposedly record rates, and yet many people are on what we call zero hour contracts. They never know whether they go to work. They can't take sick leave. They're highly stressed. They're running two or three jobs. You know, they can't afford childcare. They can barely feed their families. You know, it's it's. It, we, the, an image is conveyed, but what I love again is um, is how what you're doing and others it, it is bringing compassion. It's bringing a hope because uh, we have different stories that intersect, don't we? We have societal stories and cultural stories and personal stories. And but I want to ask you, from what you're saying, it sounds like pretty much anyone could be a storyteller. Everyone is a storyteller. Is a every every if you're alive and you're a human yeah being, yeah because you're human beings are only people that tell stories despite all of the people yeah. who talk about their dogs and cats talk <laughs> human beings who are living are the only people who can tell stories and we yeah. t- and we are story machines now mm. everything we say we're telling our story every our you know you get on the on the uh, subway you look across at the person who's reading the New York Times and their body language is telling the story. I mean, it, we, that's what we do. We tell stories. <laughs> so, yeah. but we're not aware that we're telling stories with our body language, with our, <sighs> when we roll our eyes, when, mm-hmm. or even when we just speak, be, because we, we distinguish storytelling in different ways. It's a film, it's a book, it's a storyteller with a crafted story. All of us are telling stories. My, what I'm taking on is teaching people how to craft their stories so that their stories are distinguished as packaged wisdom that they're you know you're not just talking and you you you're, that you find you stop you stop for a moment and really be grateful for your life moments yeah. of your life enough that you are telling you know people tell stories all the time I, I was oh my god I was just in a car accident my heart is racing. Thankfully, you know, everyone survived. I only got a little, but you got to let it out, you know, because you're on the way to work and your heart is beating fast and you got to tell people. And then people can respond to you and go, oh, would you like, you want me to get you some, t-? so people, it brings out the best in people. I believe people are, people, people are naturally organic folks that want to share. I just saw this great movie. You should go see it. Oh, this recipe for, um, quinoa is so great if you put the pistachios in it uh, you know you go to the gym you sit in the sauna and you get health tips yeah <laughs> you know you, you wherever you go people are sharing their lives sharing what they learned and so if we are able to hear that and we're able to present it to people so that their minds that they're that we because people process stories just organic if we can tell them in such a way that that uh, the listener is engaged, then we can make that that soulmate connection where that space is yeah. so sacred, and things can get transmuted 
transmitted, transformed. So Satori, so if someone at home is listening to this, mm-hmm. and yes, you know, you're quite right, actually, we, we live in a sea of stories. Um, but they sort of say, do you know what, I'd really like it to take it to the next level. I'd like, I'd like to tell stories to people. Um, I'd like, I feel like I've got a story to share, a story to share, which might be moving, or it might be funny, or both. What would your tips be for how they might develop that? Well, I, I you, when I do my uh, storytelling workshops, uh, yeah. there's a lot. But if I, I, I usually focus on three um, tools that yeah. people, if they use those three tools, they can tell a pretty good story. And then there are other tools that you exercise. But if you start your story in the action. I was thinking, I was driving, uh, you know, you, you got to set the story up with the who, yeah. what, why, when, where. So set it up with the action. It was 2013. I was sitting on my veranda and I saw a red robin, tip, you know, jumping, flitting from tree branch to tree branch to tree branch. And I thought to myself, hmm, now you saw that, didn't you? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I was thinking of a very traditional American-style veranda, the ones that we don't have here and all the movies I've seen and the ones I've seen in Detroit. And, uh, yeah, it was very – Anna Robin, it was very much in my mind. Okay, yeah, so you mind. created a veranda. You yeah. created the veranda. I just said – Had flowers had flowers on it. Exactly. And a rocking chair, and it was warm and sunny and a – I think you would call it a picture of something or other. Okay, so. See, see, so what? So all I did was start in the action yeah. of a human being sitting on the veranda watching a red breast robin, and you p- was pouring tea and everything. So, <laughs> so you created that out, yeah. out of me giving you the action. Okay, the next tip: the story should be simple. You know, so a a five-year-old should be able to be in the audience and a 95-year-old and everybody in between and should be able to follow your story to the degree of their experience. A five-year-old won't understand all the things, all the intricacies of your experience they have to live, but they can go along. So you really, I tell my storyteller, the students, pretend you're talking to a five-year-old. You don't talk to a five-year-old and give them academia. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because their eyes are glazed over and then they'll start knocking you on the knee and asking they have a glass of tea. They they're they bored. They they don't if they can't if you can't if they you can't engage them, they want to do something else. So the story should be simple. The third tool, story has to have stakes. Every great story the, the, the has to have stakes. The more the group the higher the stakes, the more compelling the story. So you wanna, you know, you want to if you look at if if you don't have stakes, it, what is it? It's just a, your opinion, <laughs> you know. So something. It's so stakes are what are stakes? What you have to gain or lose? Life or death? Am I going to make it to the airport on time to get the flight because my mother may not make it? I'm in San. Yeah. I'm in San Diego. I'm at three hours difference from the Eastern Standard Time. My mother says my sister calls. You better get home. I don't know whether mom's going to make it. So now I, I, I pull, I, I'm in the middle of the, I'm, I'm the last week of a play that I'm in. Um, I've got to call, get my plane ticket. I got to pack. I'm, you know, I, I don't know whether I'm going to make it. I get to the uh, airport. You know, I don't know whether my mother is going to make it. And I've got to make a three and a half hour flight. And all the time I'm there not knowing, will I make it before she dies? 
those are high stakes because I don't have any, if you, there's a TV show called 24 you know, here and, and, and tw- you know, he's going to, you know, you know, he's going to make it because next week is episode number seven, <laughs> but how, how did yeah. he make it? You know, he's got to save the world from, you know, some foreign entity coming and attacking the United States. So how, he got 24 hours in every, every so your story has to yeah. have stakes and, and um, what you have to gain or lose, you know, what, you know, life or death. Um, I, I, we're pregnant. We've been trying. We've we've had seven miscarriages and we're pregnant again. You know, I've got to be on breast bed rest for six months. You know, I'm not going to it's it's a, it's a baby going to, you know, be viable, you know, or we've been trying to have a baby for years and years. We're doing the fertility treatment. So can we get pregnant? You know, so the story has to have stakes. And then um, and and then you set all of that up right at the top of the show, and then you we go on the journey, twist and turns of the journey to the end. And it doesn't matter what the end is; it's how you look back on the journey, and 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 tell us what you learned. That yes, I lost the baby, but now I've got two adopted children that we love, and yeah. or I I'm not able to have, or I, I we the baby baby was viable, yeah. Start in the action. The story should be simple. Have stakes. Fantastic. Really, really simple building blocks to then construct something much more mm-hmm. rich and, and meaningful. And then, obviously, if you have to get and stand in front of people, deal with your nerves as well. Yes. And any to top tell, tips love, for that? I'd love to tell people how to contact uh, me in the Secret Society Twisted Story. Yeah, is it, can I you do that? Yeah. No, okay. please do. Okay, so um, to, to contact me, if you want to learn how to tell your story or you need a workshop or whatever, visit the workshop, know more about me, visit satorishakur.com. And you'll probably have something on your website. Yeah. Yeah. On Detroit from across the pond, there will be uh, accompanying pictures. Links and, and, and things. things from, okay. And links. And so you'll be able to find out details about Satori and the society there and the Satori's own website as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes, or, or you and you can visit twistedtellers.org to, yeah. to see our live stream. Or if you're in the country and Detroit specifically around that time, you can come into the show and everything that you want to know about it is uh, is there. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. So, so Tori, I mean, we're probably winding up now. We've got on way longer than I imagined. This has been wonderful, actually, really wonderful experience. And a full disclosure to listeners: this is actually the second interview I've done with Satori, <laughs> not because we thought each of us was so wonderful, but um, it was very stressful. We had some technical problems the first time round, <laughs> And uh, anyway, we got there in the end, but there was operator failure, which basically means this twit here forgot to press record, newbie's mistake. Anyway, I emailed, this is how I think, I mean, I think uh, Satori is just wonderful. I emailed Satori just to apologize. I didn't even dare to ask again. I just thought that would be almost impolite and rude. And Satori said, yeah, let's do it again. So that's why we're here. And uh, it's been a wonderful oh, yeah, technical it difficulties. Really has. Yeah, no problem. I, I, I'm I, happy to do it. I'm just so grateful for you uh, to be involved in this interview, Satori. It's been You're welcome. absolutely wonderful. My you pleasure. have been 
a star and it's been wow one of the most fun hour and a quarters i've had in a long long time great yay it's been great so and i bet your workshops are brilliant actually is there a lot of fun is they're always surprising and yeah transformative hello there's the end of show three and i recorded that show i think back in february of this year i'm now recording this show pretty much (laughs) (laughs) this outro pretty much in my back garden all the windows open the roof lights open the double doors are open it's about 33 degrees c over 90 outside and it is hot and um, so if you can hear i don't know planes flying over birds singing that's why i have to say that i've really enjoyed the three interviews so far i mean i've learned so much from uh, satori in that interview but also in the previous interviews with dara collins from food rescue detroit and brian peterson roost from bees in the d they've all taught me something about life being consistent and turning up and pursuing a passion. I mean, that's one of the joys of doing this podcast. And I also want to say I've had some lovely feedback um, from people who I have met and uh, who I haven't met. And here's to some of the people I've never actually met in real life. So thank you very much for your wonderful feedback from Audra in Atlanta, Deborah in Jasper in Canada, Michelle in Mississippi, Claire in Northampton here in the UK, and Anna in Crescent City, California. Thank you so much. And I was going to say, if, if you've got any feedback or comments, uh, you should you can comment. Follow me on um, my Instagram page, Detroit from Across the Pond. Uh, but also, you can contact me via the website where there's um, contact and subscribe buttons. In that podcast, we listened to Satori Shukar talking about the power of stories, the therapeutic power of stories, and being listened to. What I wanted to you to think about was if you were. Looking back on your life, what's the dominant? What are the dominant stories in your life? And depending on what they are, what would you like the dominant stories in your life to be over the next year, five years, ten years? Um, if you're interested in stories, you can also link to my blog post on the power of stories, which is on the well-being se- section of the website. And finally, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. And if you liked this show, please tell a friend. Apparently, that's one of the ways in which podcasts grow unless you're a super mega star do uh, tell a friend and i'm much or share it on social media i much appreciate it and i wish all of you a very happy blessed and wonderful day thank you